don't be stressed, but you have exactly seven days until Christmas. How many of y'all, if tomorrow was Christmas, you are ready? Like you are ready. Oh my goodness, I hate you people. How many of you, if tomorrow was Christmas, you would be like stressed out? Half the stuff isn't done. Okay, welcome to my world. Um, I'm glad that you're here today. What is supposed to be the best time of the year often ends up being the craziest time of the year. We put all this pressure on ourselves. So you've come to the right place. We'll take a breath for a second and look at what God really intended Christmas to be all about. I don't know about you, but the thing that stresses me the most about Christmas is Christmas cards. Anybody with me? It is like nearly impossible to get all five of my people in one place and have them be like picture ready. And then when we do, like this year I actually had a plan. I don't think I've done a Christmas card in about five years because I get stressed like, do I send one to everybody in the church? And if I do that, it's like 800 bucks and I should be giving that to the homeless ministry. Or do I just send it to the people I haven't seen in 20 years, but who cares about them? Or do I just send it to family, but they see me on Facebook. So what's the point anymore, you know, of Christmas cards in the South? It's still kind of fun Well, this year we had this like 50th anniversary party for my mom. So we had a professional photographer coming. All right. I told all my people, we planned all our outfits to match, you know, the backyard and all of this. And then Jeff goes and shaves his head. So we have a Christmas card this year. There were two photographers. I want you to notice there were two cameras. So nobody's looking in the same place in our picture. And Jeff looks really mean and really older than he normally does. So a friend of ours fixed our card, you know, now with Photoshop, you can do just about anything and sent it back to us. I think they used a pen. So I'm going to post it on Facebook so you're not offended if you didn't get a card from us this year. You can print it out and you can add whatever heritage F you want to for our Christmas card this year. Christmas cards stress me out. I just want to let you you off the hook. If you haven't done one yet, it is too late. Okay, let's just be real. It is too late if you haven't done it yet. You might could get away with a New Year's card, but just skip it and wait till next year. All right, you're off the hook. Um... Christmas, if I could sum it up in one word, is really about being together. Tis the season to be together. How many of you are traveling to family next week or you have family coming to you? You're going to have a house full. Being together can be a, it can be a really wonderful thing, like people you haven't seen for a long time that you're so looking forward to being with. Or it can be a little bit of a hectic thing, having everybody. Any of you have that one crazy relative that you'd rather leave hidden in the closet? Are, are any of you the one crazy relative? <laughs> um, you may be. We, um, we don't like to be alone on Christmas. We've tried to do Murphy Christmas alone and have our own. Like something in us as parents, we're like, we should wake up at our house and the, the kids should be okay with that. But we're, we like our crazy family. And so we have trouble. Last year we tried to be alone and half of them left and drove to Colorado like all like we finished Christmas at 9 a.m. and half of them were in the car at 10 a.m. and we're gone so this year I'm like we're not doing Christmas alone we don't do that well we are driving to Virginia on Christmas Day to go to my mom's house the only problem is it's a nine-hour drive so I called one of my sister-in-laws I said I'm just giving you warning there's like a 50% chance you're on our route we might just crash your Christmas and she said, not this year. 
<laughs> she goes, please, not this year. She goes, it's going to be very awkward. Everybody who's coming is in the middle of breaking up, so please do not <laughs> come and crash our Christmas. So we are going to be having Christmas dinner at the Waffle House somewhere on Highway 85 between here and Virginia. And I love the Waffle House, so I'm really looking forward to that on our way to be together with our family in Virginia. If I could sum up Christmas in one word, it'd be just the season to be together. Um, really, if you took the whole Bible, Susan's got a big giant one here on the, good for you for still bringing a Bible. Nobody brings a Bible anymore because we have it on our smartphones, right? So, it, but if you took that big, huge book, you could sum it up with one word. It's about being together. God wanting to be together with us and how we got separated and how he is trying to get back together with us. That is the story of Christmas. And you really can't tell the story of Christmas without starting at the very, very beginning back in Genesis. So go with me back to Genesis. If you have worship notes, all of the scriptures are printed for you there. If you don't, we're going to put them on the screen. I'm going to say them kind of fast. So if you're trying to look them up, you're going to have to move fast. You may want to use your worship guide today. Back in Genesis 1, 26, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The us was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you realize God is like a small group all in and of himself? Like there are three different persons to him, the, what we call the Trinity. And so everything else that God created kind of was like a command that he delegated. He just spoke a word, let there be light, bam, there were lights. Let there be trees, bam, there were trees. Let there be animals, bam, there were animals. But when it came to people, he paused and he said let us god the father come here god the son come here god the holy spirit let's get in a huddle let's put all our creative genius together in order to create you if you ever feel like i'm just not worthy i'm not good enough i'm not worth anything this is proof in and of itself it took the whole trinity huddling up to make you by hand. He didn't delegate it like everything else. He made you by hand. The Bible says that he scooped out the dust of the ground and sculpted, made man, and breathed into him the breath of life. And God said that everything that he made was good, except he did say it is not good for man to be alone. So God came to Adam and he said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. You were made to be together. I have a great idea. I'm going to make a creature that is more beautiful than anything you have ever seen before. And when you're working in the garden, she is just going to stand in awe of you and watch your every move and your every muscle. And then when you're done working in the garden, she's going to have hot food prepared for you. And Adam, when you figure out what clothes are, she's going to wash those clothes for you. And she is never going to complain. She is never going to nag you. And she is never going to have a headache. And Adam said, God, wow, that sounds really awesome. But what is that going to cost me? And God said, oh, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And so Adam said, well, God, what can I get for a rib? The rest is history. Y'all, that was supposed to be funny. Come on. That was funny. Little transition from like scripture to made up stuff. But um, anyways, ladies, when God made you, he took the rib of a man close to his heart 
and formed you and created you because he created us not to be alone. He created us to be together with each other and together in relationship with him. In fact, there, it was such a perfect world that every day God came down and spent time with him. It's kind of like in the South, sitting on the front porch, swinging and drinking sweet tea. Every night God would come, sit with them, swing on the porch with them, and just be with them in perfect union and intimacy until that little Apple thing happened, okay? Not like the Mac computer, but, you know, God said you can eat of every tree except for this one. They ate from that tree, and suddenly for the first time in history, they felt shame. They felt ashamed. Any of you ever felt shame before? You don't have to raise your hand. We know what shame is, right? It's like anything we've done or anything that's been done to us that makes us feel distant from God, makes us feel separated from him. Well, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They felt ashamed, and so they did what we do when we feel ashamed. They hid. They hid, and they ran. And God comes down when his children have disappointed him and have caused a separation. And the words that he says, I think, are so important to understanding what Christmas really means. You get the first question that God asks in the whole Old Testament, in the whole Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God comes down and he says to the man, where are you? Notice that he doesn't say, what have you done? Or how could you be so stupid? I'll never forget my dad one time. I did something really stupid. I'll never forget him saying, how could you be so stupid? Like that lives in me forever and ever and ever. How many of you ever heard your parents say, shame on you? Did you ever hear that? You know, God could have come. And, I, you know, if you are a parent here, let's just make a pact today that we will never say that to our kids. I know I am guilty of it. But when God came, he didn't say, shame on you. He said, grace on you. Where are you? He didn't care what they had done. He didn't care where they were hiding. He didn't care what they looked like, where they had been. All he cared about was you and me. And so the Christmas story starts in the garden where God comes and says, hey, you were never made to be separate from me. And I don't like this. I love you so much. Where are you? Let's get back together and reconnect. And so in Genesis chapter 3, God hatches this plan. He kind of spills the beginning of the Christmas story. He says, someday the woman will have a child, and the child will take care of this shame forever. And the rest of that whole big Bible in the Old Testament is all about God trying to win us back. Until you flip to the New Testament and we see that plan that he hatched in Genesis starting to come true in Luke chapter 1, verse 27. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, Mary, it says, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Everybody else in all of the Bible who saw an angel, they were scared of the angel, the bright light, the scary-looking thing. But when Mary met the angel, she wasn't scared of the light. She wasn't scared of what he looked like. She was scared at his words. 
because he came and he said, the Lord is with you. And any good little Jewish girl who had learned the Jewish tradition would know, uh uh-oh, every time an angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, something very big is about to happen. They did that to Joshua, and then he had to, like, go march around Jericho, and people thought he was crazy till the walls fell down. They did that to Gideon, and people thought he was crazy. He took 300 men to fight 3 million. So when she heard those words, the Lord is with you, she was like, ooh, what is this all about? Something big is about to happen. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Can you imagine those words being spoken over you? You have found favor with God. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends that I invite to my church all the time, and I hear this a lot. A a woman told me this week, she was like, you don't want me to come to your church. Like, the walls will fall in if I walked into that church. I'm like, but that's why we're here. That's why we exist. And, you know, if you've ever felt that way, this is the story of Christmas you have found favor with God. If you've got your pen out, circle the word you. Circle the words with God. Because all of Christmas, all of Scripture could be summed up in simply this, that you were meant to be with God. And it doesn't matter what shame you are carrying, what baggage you are carrying, Jesus came into the world so that you could be with God. See, here, here's the deal about shame. Shame will tell you that you're not good enough. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't you ever doubt that you are good enough. I huddled the whole trinity together to make you by hand. Shame will say, well, you messed it up and now you're not worth anything. And God says, no, 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 you are so worth me being born into a manger and dying for you. Shame will say that you deserve to pay And God says, no, 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 no. I am going to make payment for you. We are blessed at my church to have a lot of young people with us. And when we talk to the younger generation, um, I'm finding that this thing about shame is a really, really big deal. They are carrying it in a way that, you know, before, I guess, maybe when some of us that are older grew up, our shame was kind of hidden, you know, in today's world where everything is public and in writing and out on social media, they, they're carrying a lot of public shame. And here, here's the deal about shame. The longer you carry shame, which you were never intended to carry, lies attach to shame. And when a lie attaches to shame, we tend to then sin more out of that lie. Like, for instance, I, I blew it, so I am not good enough is the lie that attaches to I blew it. And out of the I'm not good enough or worth anything, we make more stupid choices and, and things that show that we don't value ourselves. The opposite of that is, is grace. And truth attaches to grace. When Jesus came into the world, it said he was full of grace and truth. Yes, it was a balance, but it also means that when you are living in grace, truth is what attaches to grace. And you know what comes out of truth? Freedom. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So this deal about shame is a really big deal. If we have stuff that we carry that we think we need to hide or cover up or that we're embarrassed of, shame is never, ever from God. We know this because when Adam and Eve first messed up in the garden, God didn't come and say, shame on you. He came and said, where are you? I care about you. I'm after you. I want to get back together and be reunited with you. So God comes to Mary. The angel comes to her and says, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And Mary has a question. She says, how can this be to the angel seeing that I'm a virgin? She has a pragmatic question like logistically how is this going to be because you know I am not married yet and then she has this kind of problematic question um I don't know about you but when I read stories in the Bible I like to try to put myself in the shoes of that character and so I try to imagine now that I have a 17 year old daughter and a 13 year old daughter like what would they feel like if an angel came to them and told them this was about to happen? And then you have to, like, put yourself back in that time. And what was she thinking? She's maybe 14, 15, or 16 years old, and she's engaged to be married. And in her culture, that would be, like, one of the highest honors in how you survived. And how many of you girls remember, like, dreaming about your wedding someday? Do you remember that? Some of us started when we were two. I remember, like, having pretend weddings with the pole in the basement, you know. I could care less about the pole. It was all about me and what I was wearing and, you know, everything. I remember in the season when I was engaged to Jeff, sitting in church, I didn't listen to anything that preacher said. I was just wondering, like, where are my bridesmaids going to stand? Like, where do they go? And what color dress goes best with the we had pink carpet in our church. So I was going to have emerald green bridesmaids dresses with pink stargazer flowers until they announced they were changing the color of the carpet. <laughs> I about had a nervous breakdown. I'm like, how can this be? You cannot change the color of the carpet. I've got my wedding. So, you know, I think for Mary, yes, there's a logical question, but there's also the, I am engaged. I've already been fitted for my wedding dress. Like, how, how am I going to be pregnant and fit in my wedding dress? And how can, the, and in her culture, she could be stoned to death for this. At worst, at best, she would be an outcast for life. And so she finds herself in this place asking this question, basically, how can this be happening to me right now? You ever found yourself in that place, maybe in this season where you're saying, God, how can this be happening to me? I didn't think I would have all these people in my life that I have. Or I, I didn't think I would not have certain people in my life at this stage. Or I didn't think my job would turn out. I mean, how can this be happening? And here's the answer that God gives to her. The angel answers and says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Verse 37 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. I believe with all my heart that those two words could change our life, with God. I don't know about you, but I have certain things that, que that I'm questioning, God, how can this be happening to us? And this past month, we had a little Murphy drama in our house. And so for me, I'm a worrier. I, I wake up in the middle of the night worried about things. I have these imaginary conversations with people in the middle of the night that I never really have in person. I just have them over and over in my head. Any of you do that? Or I wake up and I think, I'm having a heart attack. 
but I'm just really having a panic attack in the middle of the night. And I'm replaying these scenarios. And often I'll think, if just this would happen, it would solve everything. But what I find myself doing is these scenarios I'm replaying over and over and over again in my head are usually, I'm replaying that by myself. I'm not really playing that with God. And my question for you today is, how different would your scenario be if you replayed it again with God? See, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he started doing this. He was a little stressed, couldn't sleep well. He was like replaying over and over. It said he was considering by himself what he should do. And he was a good guy, so he was going to like privately divorce her. He was kind of freaked out about this. He was trying to do the right thing. But he's replaying this scenario by himself, and then he falls asleep, and an angel comes and says, oh, no, 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 Joseph, we're going to do this scenario with God. What does your job look like with God? What does this scary marriage look like with God as a part of it? What does your family situation and your relationships, what if we played that tape out with God? God. It'd kind of be like if you were coaching a basketball team. Any of you dads coach those upward teams? I am on to you dads because you are supposed to play every kid equally, and I know that you are scheming because you do not believe every kid deserves a trophy, and so you are trying to figure out how to win. Even though it's supposed to be nice and Christian and sweet, you want to win still, right? So you're playing every, I know because Jeff has done this, and he's playing every scenario. How can, what combination of kids can I play so that we beat everybody? And smile as we beat them. Um, Imagine you're trying to figure out what play to make, and suddenly you learn that Steph Curry is going to be on your team. It would change everything. Change every play. It wouldn't matter. You win. Multiply that times a million, and that's what it's like by doing life with God. That's why we push you so hard around here. Get in a small group. I mean, you need to have friends, but you need to have friends with God volunteer volunteering is wonderful but you need to know what it's like to volunteer with God and his church what if it would be what would it be like if you like did your resources and your stuff with God it changes everything so God says to Joseph Joseph don't worry we're going to do this with God you're going to marry this woman because the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. See, the Christmas story is really all about God being with us. Jesus came into the world to solve our problem of, sa- of shame and separation from God. And the very first question that is asked in the New Testament, Matthew 2, chapter 2, is by some wise guys, the wise men. They come asking, where is he? Now, I don't, the wise men are kind of a mystery to me. I don't fully understand them. I do appreciate them because they add symmetry to my nativity. You know, can you imagine your nativity set with no wise men? You have Mary and Joseph and the baby, and you have a shepherd over here. They only give you one shepherd. I don't know why, because there was a bunch of them that were together. A couple of sheep, and it would be really lopsided if you didn't have the wise men. So I don't, fully understand them. They came from like India or China. It probably took them two years to get to Jesus. They didn't even make it to the stable, but they just look cute in the nativity set. And 
you know, how did they see a star in the sky and know, oh, a baby has been born, king of the Jews, we should go that way and follow the, all I know is that the very same God who huddled up the Trinity to create you, I believe huddles up the Trinity to run after you and find you when you feel separated from him and he knows exactly what would get your attention if you were an astronomer yeah a star would get your attention and you would know what that meant and you would follow it maybe if you're in columbus georgia and some crazy person invites you to my church my favorite my church story is a guy who was in a bar on a saturday night telling his friend you know i really need to get my life back together and his friend said oh you need to come to my church in a bar i love that story I don't know what sign or what God has put in your way. And for you this week, for one of your friends, it might be that card. Inviting somebody to our Christmas Eve service might be the very thing that the Trinity has huddled up and planned that you're going to give that card to just the right person. They're going to come on Christmas Eve and they're going to know that God loves them and wants to be with them. I don't know your scenario, but I do know that with God, nothing is impossible. And so the Jesus who was there on the day of creation, who knew ahead of time that we would mess everything up and be separate from him, he was also the one who was willing to step into the world he created. John 1 says it this way, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He came into the very world he created so that all who believed on him and accepted him would have the right to become the children of God. The word became human and made his home among us. I know it's a crazy season. It's a season to be together with some crazy people, with some fun people. But it is a season where God wants you to know, I want to be with you. And I don't care what it is that is making you feel separated from me. I have taken care of that. See, he sent his son to a cross to do the one thing that we were never, ever created to do. We were never created to carry shame. Anytime you feel shame, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is not God's voice. God never says shame on me. God says, where are you? And there is only one question we need to ask. It is the same thing the wise men asked. Where is he? Where is he? I need him quick. Because the answer to all of my how can this be moments are, not in a what, it's in a who. Jesus went to that cross, and you know, thousands of people were crucified by the Romans. Thousands. That, I'm not taking away from the physical suffering. It was terrible. But what made the cross different when Jesus went there was that all of the sin and shame of the world was put on his shoulders. And God the Father had to turn his back on his son so that Jesus felt what it felt like, what you feel like when you feel separated from God. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt what it's like to be separated from God so that you would never, ever have to be separated from him. In fact, his last words, the end of the Christmas story, before he left the earth, he said, and lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you, even to the very end of the age. God wants to be with you this Christmas. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we stand in awe that you love us so much. You just don't sweep us away when we mess up and we are shameful. God, you pursue us. You come looking, saying, where are you? 
God, for many of us, we think there is no way we could ever find favor with you. But you promise us in your word that with God, all things are possible. Jesus, we invite you into this space. We thank you so much for what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Christy. Um, let me do this. We're going to invite our host teams to come forward. We're going to go ahead and conclude today with our communion. And uh, I just want to get a, get a couple, uh, I guess, some handlebars around this, this concept of communion. When I think about this in terms of where Christy's conversation went today, uh, communion is this opportunity uh, where it really is God leaning you know, wanting us, longing for us to lean back into him and just say, hey, I want to be together with you. Um, if you. If you noticed when Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples, right before he went to the cross, right before they had this moment that we read in Scripture where they uh, kind of did the whole Lord's Supper thing, Jesus has a meal with his guys. He has this meal with his guys. And, and, he, and he explains to them what's about to happen is I'm about to go to the cross and I'm going to shed my blood, I'm going to die. And these guys had not totally really grasped what this idea of communion was. Uh, when, I was when I was younger, I remember our church passing the plate and people taking a cracker and people taking some juice or you know, taking some bread or taking some whatever you took. Uh, and I remember feeling sort of like scared and guilty and shameful, like what is this all about? Because if you've ever, if you've ever read what this says in Scripture, Jesus talks about my body's broken for you. I, I shed my blood for you. And, and Paul is explaining this uh, in the Bible. And he goes on to say, to say that we ought to examine ourselves. We ought to kind of pay attention and think through, you know, what this looks like for us. Like Jesus did this for us. Before we take this communion, let's examine ourselves. And I think that's totally right. It's in Scripture that we ought to, we ought to say, hey, I, I want to remember all that Jesus has done for me. I want to remember that I, I, I was wrong, that I was sinful, that I had a need for a Savior. But I think there's a part of this that the enemy would use to cause us to take that verse to like the nth degree and use this verse to make us feel guilty. Where Paul says examine ourselves, I think a lot of us, like I remember when my, our pastor when I was younger, he'd take and it would get the microphone real close and would crack that cracker by the microphone. And it would talk real deeply and talk about how that was his body broken for us. And man, I would feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just not worthy. Like how could I, how could I partake in this moment of communion with how unworthy I feel and how far I feel from God? But here's the point. In Scripture, Jesus says as, you know, his participants, then his disciples, uh, are about to take, you know, this bread and are about to take this juice. He said this. He said, do this in remembrance of, of me. Y'all remember that? If you've ever read this before, it says, do this in remembrance of me. Not do this in remembrance of all your shame or all your guilt or all the things you've ever done wrong in your life. See, this is not meant to be about us feeling so guilty that we forget what Jesus did. Now, there's, a, there's probably a little Pharisee in all of us, right? Probably a little bit of like, I want to be good enough and I want to earn my way to God. But here, here's this whole picture from the beginning of Scripture until now. 
there's one massive concept, and that is that Jesus said, he said, I have come that you might have life. He also said there is no condemnation for those who are in me. So I remember when I was a kid and I'd get ready to take this communion like you guys are, and I'd feel like I'm so unworthy. The truth is I was. But when you bow the knee and you profess Jesus as Lord, and all of a sudden he becomes your Savior, you all of a sudden you are worthy. Not by what you've done. None of us are that good. By what he's done. So see, there's this cool moment where Jesus has this experience with his disciples. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my body was broken for you. Remember I, I let all the blood just, just leak out of my body. I did all that for you. He wants us to grasp this and help us not feel shame and guilt, but us to put our focus on him because he did it all for us. So when we think of this moment, this communion, we remember the cross. Remember what he did for us on the cross. That cross reminds us of our salvation. That cross reminds us because of the cross, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. Because of the cross, I'm free, right? Because of the cross, I'm no longer condemned. Because of the cross, I am totally, totally, totally free to live in grace and mercy. Why? Not because of something I did, but because of what Jesus did. Now, the disciples right after Jesus went to the grave, those guys were still weak in the knees. Those guys were still like, ah, You know, our guy, he died. Our, our guy, you know, he had this incredible message. He had this incredible, you know, like way about him, but our guy's dead, right? But you know what happened shortly after he went to his grave? Those guys went and hid, up in, the upper, hid in the upper room. Just a few days later, three days later, he rose from the dead. All of a sudden, those disciples, they walk out, their boat up, they're fired up like, Woo, our guy's not dead, he's alive. So in the very same way that many of us can feel, Like, there's no way, you know, I'm still sinful. I'm still, still working on my junk. There's no way I can partake in something like this. Remember this. All those things that Jesus did for on the cross, they didn't end in the grave. You know, every other world religion, every other, you know, religious sect that's out there, they had a guy who had a message, and many of their guys, they died too. The thing that separates us And our Savior, in the most magnificent way, was the fact that our guy died, predicted he was going to die, but then he came back from the dead. Our guy didn't die and stay dead. Our guy came back to life. So our, the hope is this. That here's the hope. Is that all of us could, could, could partake in like the Lord's Supper and this communion and remember what he did for us. Why? Because we have hope that we have life, life for all of eternity. And I believe that maybe in this moment today that, that God brought you here for this moment, for, for this moment, for you to have new life in Christ today. Some of you would say, you know what, I want to I like have the nice little juice and the cool cracker. It's not all that that it's cracked up to be. It's just kind of really stale. Um, but, but the symbols aren't the point. The juice, the cracker, that what they do, they lead us to focus on the one who gave his life, who gave his blood, who broke his body. So my hope is that today, maybe God has you here for this moment, that you would say, wow, there is a Savior who gave his life, 
who didn't stay dead, who rose from the dead, to offer me life, to offer us hope, to offer us salvation. So my hope is that today that you would simply, maybe even before this moment that we all partake together, that you would bow the knee symbolically, that you would, you would in your mind and your heart pray, confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is leader and forgiver, that today you would say yes to him, that you would say yes to that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to allow all of us to have our moment with God. Uh, some of you, you might be praying and asking God to save you today. Some of you might be praying and saying, God, thank you that you saved me, that I am, I am worthy to partake in this moment because Jesus died and he raised and he lives. So I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I have hope because he's in me. So I'm going to pray and, and ask you to just at your own desire, you take and remember what Jesus has done for you. Lord, we love you. God, we celebrate you. We celebrate the fact that you gave your life for us. And Jesus, we, we take this moment and we just, we surrender it to you. We don't focus on our junk, our sin. God, we know we're, we're, we're still not, you know, like perfect people. Only you are that. But because of what you did for us, we're no longer, we're no longer in fault. We're no longer in blame. We're no longer carrying baggage. God, you took that from us. And for that, God, we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We surrender it all to you because, God, you are everything to us. Lord, I, I ask for those that right now may not know you, that they're still sort of an orphan. God, I pray that in this moment right now, they'd be, they'd be sons and daughters by simply saying, Jesus, I'm asking you to be the leader and forgiver of my life right now. Come into my heart. Save me. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. and Let me have eternity with you, not separated from you. Lord, we love you. We celebrate today. We celebrate by remi- reminding ourselves about the body, your body, and the blood that was shed so we could be forgiven. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our um, host teams to come back up. We're going to close with an offering in a, in a song here in the end that I want you guys to, to just, I mean, I love this song. Last hour we, we did this song, and it is just one of those like, wow, in-your-face powerful songs. And um, I'm going to encourage you to just leverage this song is what you would want to say to him today. Leverage it to, to just remind yourself of how grateful we are for who he is and what he's done for us. So our guys are coming up. We're going to close with an offering uh, while you're still in your seats. Uh, last week, we kicked off our, our year-end Christmas gift offering. That's why we still have this, this box up here. Some of you guys used this box last week. Uh, to say, hey, I want to symbolically with my kids, you know, say, hey, we want to give a gift larger than anybody else. We want to give to Jesus this year. Many of you guys, the way you give, you give online, you text to give. We've got this new awesome app that many of you give. Uh, many of you gave last week. You said, hey, this is what I want to do over and above what I normally do. I want to give big. And, man, a lot, of you, a lot of you gave really big last week, and I want to say thanks for that. Many of you are still considering, hey, what do we want to do as a family this year? And this is still open. We're carrying this on to the end of the year. Uh, but I, I want to just encourage you as you consider how you'd give big this year to, to make it a sacrifice. Make it a sacrifice. Do you know that every 
spiritual step we take, every spiritual step, every spiritual step we take leads us closer to connecting and trusting and having greater faith in God. I know the financial piece for us, my wife and I, we gave big last week. That's a financial step of faith for us. It is. And it leads us closer to saying, God, this is on you. (laughs) We'll do our part. We'll play our role. We'll help provide resources so that that we can impact the world for you. But God, we're not placing our trust in you. We're placing, not on ourselves, we're placing our trust in you. So I encourage you guys, consider what you do. Have God lead you. You do that. If you're a guest today, you just be our guest. I'm going to have you guys go ahead and stand up as we pass buckets and we close this out in this last song. God, thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that you gave it all to us, God. You are the first gift giver. So, Lord, I pray that today you would move our hearts. We would do what you would say, God. But out of that, God, I pray you'd grow us. I pray, God, lives would change because of our response. And, God, ultimately, God, I pray you'd bless those who are blessing you so, God, we can continue to be a blessing to you. God, grow our faith, grow our trust, grow this church. Let our church be a church that is big and bold and steps out for you so that many lives will be changed, including ours. In your name we pray, amen.